We have uh, three Bible readings. The first are from Romans 8. No, Acts 1? Begin with Acts 1 first. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And now from Romans 8, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Then a little further in the same chapter to verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectations for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently.
Just recently, uh, just a week and a half ago, I was going from our kitchen towards our master bedroom, and you pass through the, uh, the lounge room where the TV is, and uh, something caught my eye as I passed through. The news was on, and there was this uh, elderly lady, Ukrainian lady, standing outside the ruins of her home, obviously been hit by a bomb or a missile of some sort. And she had a reporter by her side, and he was asking her those usually stupid questions, how do you feel? Um, but as uh, he was asking her these questions, she said something remarkable. When asked, you know, how she felt and what would she do, she said, when, not if, when this war is over, I'm going into my backyard over there and I'm going to plant flowers. This lady must have been at least in her 80s. When this war is over, I'm going into my backyard and I'm going to plant flowers. That's hope. Hope looks beyond the rubble, looks beyond the devastation and sees a brighter future. The nature of hope is such that you don't have what you're longing for. It's not in hand. When we uh, looked at our reading this morning from Romans 8, 24, 25, that's what it said. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now, I'm sure I don't need to remind you, and you probably groan when I re re do remind you that we're in an election. In the last week, inflation's gone up a lot higher than people expected. Rates have gone up, and we're told that month after month, we can expect more and more. And so the political parties, mainly, you know, Labor, Liberal, they are really trying to tell us, they really want us to believe that they are the best ones in which to place our hope with regard to which would be the best manager of the economy to make the impacts of those rises sustainable. In other words, that we'll be able to adapt to it, work with it, and we will still have a good quality of life. They make heaps and heaps of promises with regard to these things, and they tell us they are the ones that can deliver on the hope if only we will trust them. Hope is something that we all have from time to time, whether it's the right party getting in. By the way, I'm not worried about which party gets in. You know, the reality is that whichever party gets in, even if it's a hung parliament, it still is God's party. Romans tells us no authority is established, no government, no power arises and takes power unless God has established it. Whichever party Whatever ends up, God's in control. He's caused it to rise. He will work his sovereign will through whatever happens. So don't worry about it, folks. There's hope, but not in a politician. There's hope in God. Our text this morning speaks of creation. Creation waiting in eager expectation. And what's 
it waiting for. See, this is hope. This is creation hoping. It's waiting in eager expectation for something it does not yet have. And what's it's waiting for? It's waiting for Jesus to return. Because when Jesus returns, you and I are going to be raised up with him and the curse is going to be lifted. The curse that God put upon the earth when Adam and Eve fell. It's waiting for that day. It's eagerly waiting for your redemption and mine because that means Jesus has returned, everything's finished and everything's going to be restored to perfection. So as we take a look at Scripture this morning and we find ourselves in the context in which we do, let's see what is the only hope that really can be guaranteed to be delivered as we expect and even better than what we expect. What is it that's better than a politician's promise and the hope that they say they can deliver? What is it that is better than a promotion or you know, a new flood of money or whatever else, what really delivers and never, never disappoints? Well, to learn that, we've got to go back to the disciples at the time of the ascension of Jesus. These guys were in a whirlwind. Mind you, just because Jesus was risen and just because Jesus had been with them for 40 days didn't mean that they had processed everything and they were at peace. I will show you in a little while that they, they weren't. When we take a look at uh, Acts uh, chapter 1, 1 to 3, we read, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. You know, there are those who look at us and laugh at our faith and our belief, and they say that the disciples long so much for Jesus to be God in the flesh they longed so much for him to be alive that they hallucinated and they made up these stories and that they just really believed something that didn't exist. They wanted it so badly. But what does the text say? Over the period of 40, 40 days, Jesus provided th those disciples convincing proofs that he was alive. In other words, they weren't convinced by the first appearance of him in the upper room. They needed more appearances of Jesus over the 40 days. So over 40 days, he continued again and again and again to appear to them in the flesh in order to convince them that he was alive. They were in this whirlwind. If you go back 50 days, so the week also before the, the resurrection, just think about it. They'd been in the upper room where, where Jesus said one of them was about to betray him. And we read of the stir that that caused amongst the disciples. Who was going to betray him? Who would do that to the Lord? And then we have the prayer in Gethsemane. They know, they, they know something bad's about to happen. And Jesus goes up and prays three times to the Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. And then there's the arrest where Peter tries to spare Jesus and, and help him get away by cutting off the high priest's servant's ear. And then he goes on trial before the leaders of the Jews and then finally before Pilate, the Roman governor. And then he's crucified. And then when all their hopes are dashed, do you remember the guys on the road to Emmaus? They, they've left Jerusalem 
And Jesus comes alongside of them, but they don't recognize him. And Jesus says, hi guys, what, what's going on? And they say, you haven't heard? We had put our hope in this fellow Jesus. But they crucified him, and now it's the third day. In other words, he's been dead three days. They were leaving Jerusalem because they thought that was it. All their hopes were dashed. What they had hoped for had come to nothing. And even when the women went to the tomb and reported back that they had seen Jesus, you read in Scripture that the, the disciples thought they were crazy. It seemed as nonsense to them. And so two of them rushed off to check it out. They were in a whirlwind. These guys needed something to hope in, something that wouldn't let them down. On that ascension morning, what we, we know from Scripture is that it wasn't the first time they had been told that Jesus was going to leave. They had been told this before. And we get an insight into their emotions about this thought of Jesus going away. In John 16, verses 5 to 8, it says, Now I'm going to him who sent me, Jesus said, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. Jesus told them, I'm going to the Father. And their response emotionally was grief. Just like you have when someone passes away that you love dearly. They were filled with grief. Not just a little bit of grief, they were filled with grief. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. These guys were in need of hope. Ever thought about that passage in Scripture where Jesus, on another occasion, says to them, I'll not leave you as orphans, I will come to you? I'm sure you love that passage. Jesus is saying, I'm always with you. He said at first to the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Why did he say that to them? Because they needed hope. They needed hope. Well, we live in a world in which we could well be on the brink of World War III. No one knows what's going to happen. I'm, when I was in high school, I was a student of history. I did modern and ancient history in high school. And I learned about the lead-up to World War I in great detail, as also the lead-up to World War II. I know the scenarios, and I see great similarities in what's going on now. doesn't mean... It will happen, but it's not impossible. When I went to the men's breakfast recently, I spoke on this theme about security, and I said to them, I as a pastor could not tell them there would not be a World War III or even a World War IV. There would have been pastors back in the day that told congregations that, but it didn't stop those wars, world wars, from eventuating. What I was there to tell them was what they could hope in regardless of where the World War Three or Four started and regardless of where the nuclear bombs began to rain. 
says here in Scripture that we have the first fruits of the Spirit and we groan inwardly as we, just like creation, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So it's not only creation that's longing for Jesus' return, but you and me too. And when you take a look at Scripture in Romans 8, 22, 24, we read that when we look towards the future, we, we can look towards whatever's going to happen in a way the non-Christian can't. Jesus says when he comes back, there's going to be great um, turmoil in the world. It's going to be like a washing machine. Things are going to be chaotic. Things are going to be scary. And then the Son of Man is going to appear. Listen to this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. But not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then in uh, Luke's Gospel, we read this. There'll be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror apprehensive of what's coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken at that time they'll see the son of man in the cloud with power and great glory elsewhere it says they'll be calling upon uh, the unbelievers will be calling upon the mountains to fall upon them to hide them from the sun they'll be looking for caves to hide in but in contrast we who have hope what does it say it says there when these things begin to take place you stand up, you lift up your head because the day of your redemption has drawn near. The rest of the world's in terror, utter terror. But we are told when you see all this happening, stand up, don't cower, stand up, lift up your head into heaven because Jesus is coming back for you. That's the hope that we are to have. So let's look a little bit deeper into the disciples and what Jesus did with them at the ascension that gives us the foundation for this hope. It's all nice talking about it, but why can I really believe in this? Why can I really trust in this hope? Why is it better than a politician's hope? Well, when we take a look at Matthew 28, 16, we, we see that even after all those appearances over the 40 days, some still doubted. It says that there in Matthew 28, 16, 17, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some still weren't convinced. So what did Jesus give them to get them across the line? What do you and I have to get us across the line if we're not across the line already? What is the foundation of a hope that guarantees the outcome that it promises. Well, Jesus said to them, all authority and in heaven and earth has been given to me. The Jews had just had Jesus arrested and brought to Pilate. Pilate had just had Jesus crucified. The powers that be seem to be in control. I don't know if you know it, but the whole book of Revelation was written to the seven churches in Asia Minor to show that Christ is greater than Caesar. That's the whole theme of the book of Revelations. Jesus is greater than Caesar. 
When you take a look at what Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. They all said a little bit earlier in the service today, at the name of Jesus, what? Every knee shall bow. Not some, but every knee. Not just believers, but every knee will bow. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Putin, Biden, Morrison, Johnson. Name whatever world leader you want. <laughs> Bechron now, now that he's re-elected. They are all subject to the rule and the authority of Jesus Christ. All authority on earth has been given to me, but also in heaven. Name it, in heaven, it's mine. I have authority over all things. Jesus, at the in book of Revelation, on a war horse, not a colt of a donkey, on a war horse returns. And what does he have the name on him written? King of kings and Lord of lords. Here are the lords. He's the Lord of the lords. Here are the kings. He's the king of the kings. And he comes to wage war against his enemies who refuse to bow the knee. So that's the first thing he gives to them. It speaks to who Jesus is. He's not just a, a human being. He's God in the flesh. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I need to remember this today and the days ahead, even if World War III breaks out. Remember Jesus is Lord. He's got it all in his hands. Remember the old, old song? He's got the whole world in his hands. You and me, brother, sister. He's got what? The whole world in his hands. Catechism, question and answer one. What's your only comfort in life and death? Goes on to say that the very hairs of our head are all numbered. Nothing can happen to me apart from the will of God. Nothing can happen to me apart from God allowing it to happen. And if he allows it to happen, it's because he's got a purpose for it. So that's the first thing. Jesus declared his authority. But that's easy to say. A lot of people make that sort of claim. How could they be sure? Well, something completely otherworldly happened. After he had said that, Jesus then began to be raised without Steven Spielberg's help. No Hollywood magic here. Jesus in front of them began to rise into heaven and he continued to go up so that their gaze shifted from, from him on the earth to their gaze shifting to him going into heaven until a cloud received him out of sight. If they needed any more convincing, they now got something else. Jesus done something or did something that had nothing to do with human power. This was only possible because he was God. That underlined what he had said, all power and authority, even the power over gravity. And that shouldn't surprise us as Christians. We know that he created it. Why wouldn't he have power over what he created? But there's one thing more. As they were looking up into the clouds and seeing that Jesus was gone, they hadn't noticed that two other people turned up. Angels had turned up and said, well, what are you doing? What are you looking into heaven for? What are you looking up into the sky? And then they said something that should just fill our heart with joy and with confidence. This Jesus, whom you just saw go into heaven in the very same way, will return. 
Oh, that must have made such a difference. Because before the crucifixion, Jesus had said things to that effect. Remember John 14, a passage we often read at a funeral? In John 14, we, we read that uh, wonderful passage with regard to the fact that with Jesus, we shouldn't be troubled. Do you remember? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. What did he say? I go there, what? To prepare a place for you. And when I'm done with that, I'm coming back. See, that's what the angels have said. The way you saw him, he will come back. When I'm, when I'm done, I'm coming back to do what? To take you to be with me where I am. This is the hope Jesus wants us to have in our world of turmoil. The early church had this set before them in Thessalonica. People were dying before Jesus returned and, and people were getting upset because the expectation was that Jesus would return quickly before any Christians died. And so the Lord, in compassion and love for his people, sent word through Paul. And in that uh, wonderful passage, we read that Jesus himself again will come down from heaven. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up with them in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. They, they were worried that their brothers and sisters were somehow disadvantaged. What a glorious picture. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back, remember, on the clouds of heaven, just the way he went. He's coming back. And what will happen first is those who've died before his return, they'll be reunited with their bodies, but not the same bodies they had before, but bodies like Jesus' glorious body. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. They'll be reunited with their bodies. And then together with those who are still alive when Jesus returns, in one group, they'll go to meet Jesus in the air. And then it says beautifully at the end of that passage, encourage each other with these words. Isn't it true that at a funeral, we all look forward to that outcome that's promised us in Revelation? That at the time when Jesus comes and we go to be with him forever, there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more death. Brothers and sisters, we, we're called today to have the hope that God gives to us, not a politician, but what God gives to us. A guaranteed hope, one that will not ever disappoint us. We're told in Scripture to stop looking at the horizontal and, and make that our perspective of what's going on. We're told to lift up our eyes to heaven. It says in Colossians 3, 1 to 4, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then he goes on to say, when Christ, who is your life, appears, the return of Jesus, there it is again, 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You heard in the prayer that um, Wendy Swartz is not in a good way medically at the moment. She had, she's had a really tough week. We, Florence and I know Wendy well. Um, Travis, her son, is our son-in-law, married to our daughter Clarissa. And we see a lot of emails within the family and we've shared with many of you too with their special page they put on Facebook as to her, her travels with cancer. And she's quite honest with regard to her struggles and the traumas that she's gone through. But one thing you see, regardless of the circumstances, she's never lost her hope. Remember that question in the Catechism, what is your only comfort in what? In life and in death. Whether we are alive, as Wendy is now, but even if the Lord takes her in death, her comfort hasn't changed. Her hope in Christ enables her to be strong, regardless what happens. The Bible tells us that when we get to heaven, if it were possible to look back on what we've experienced, we would be able to see things differently with regard to our sufferings. Paul, who suffered much, I only have to go to uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 12 to have a look. He had this to say in our text in Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Almost impossible to say now, but that is the reality that this hope gives to us. No matter what we experience, no matter how painful, even like for Wendy, if it means I'm going to have to say this Mother's Day goodbye to my husband and my kids and grandkids, which is quite a possibility. The reality is what is waiting for her far outweighs what she's going through now. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with what Jesus has in store for us. But here we are, with creation waiting eagerly and expectantly. So what's our job? Well, we're told, Romans 8.25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now, our problem, you and I, in Jesus' car on the way to heaven, is that old question the kids always ask. Are we there yet? The Lord says, be patient. I'm building a kingdom. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, only when Jesus is finished building the kingdom, only when our rooms are done, does he return. But if we die beforehand, like Paul says, I'd rather die and be with Christ, which is better by far. Let me finish with these words from uh, a song that's called There Is a Hope. There is a hope that lifts my weary head, a consolation strong against despair. 
that when the world has plunged me in its deepest pit, I find the Saviour there. Through present sufferings, future's fear, he whispers, courage in my ear. For I am safe in everlasting arms, and they will lead me home. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we give you thanks. In this world in which there are so many promises made to us, even by well-intending politicians who, who really have a hope to be able to deliver what they promise, but often make promises they have no power over to deliver. We thank you in your word and with the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus to sit at your right hand in power and glory that you have given us this hope that regardless of the circumstances, because we belong to Jesus, that you have our life in your hands and all that we, we pass through, that you're there with us and you have your intended purpose for whatever it is that we may need to suffer. And we thank you, Lord, that when this life is done, we can continue to be comforted, knowing that even in death, com comfort holds true because we will see Jesus face to face. We will be with him, which is better by far. Again, we pray especially for Wendy and Durin and the family as they meet uh, today, this weekend. Give them that comfort, that continuing hope. Help them to have a, a splendid day today and help them to share of, of your love for them and, and your promises that are true, that never fail, that are new every morning. And help them to build wonderful memories today that they can share for years to come. When Wendy's gone, may they have these precious memories that uh, you give today. And so, Lord, we, we still pray for a miracle. We know that's within your power. And, Lord, we, we pray that uh, through that you'll glorify yourself. But if it's her time to be taken home, her time to hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy and rest of your master. We pray that you'll comfort the family and, and strengthen them and help her to be able to say goodbye knowing that she leaves them in your hands and they could not be in any better hands than that. Help us in whatever struggles we have, those of us here today, no matter what it is that we're going through, no matter what threatens to overwhelm us, help us to know that you love us. You've proven that in sending Jesus and him dying on the cross for us. You've proven that in, in, in adopting us as your children. And indeed, we have those beautiful words of our text. There is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We've been set free from the law of sin and death. We've been made alive through the Spirit. And so as we go on our way, help us to go rejoicing. Help us to go with strong steps, with, with strength in our hands to do the work that you've given us to do. As Jesus commanded the disciples, so help us to do. Help us to go and make disciples in Jesus' name. Build your church, Lord. Help us to do what you have given us to do through the gifts that you provided. And in all of this, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.